Blog Talk Radio. friend, Reverend Shara McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was just created to focus on the tenets of Sunday as a special day to set some, aside some time for spiritual focus and meditation and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible. And, uh, of course, you may use any Bible you wish. And there's also an online version, uh, www.biblia.com, that you can use if you don't have a Bible there. 
Um, and due to having so many spiritual experiences and great, being grateful, we just have ongoing Bible readings just every morning. We're working our way straight through the New Testament at this point. And uh, we're just focused on being our real selves and carrying the message given to us. And that's just about it. We just don't have any kind of axe to grind or anything else. We're just Christians and I'm a Christian in recovery and I'm just full of gratitude for what has been given to me. And I'm also grateful for my sobriety and grateful for the lives of my family and everything else. And so uh, here we are. Uh, the, let's see, the call number is 619-924-9744 if you have a special prayer request. And uh, we are here every uh, Sunday. I was a little late this morning, so I want to apologize for that. And um, the opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native Angel. I do love this uh, group, and uh, they use Native American instruments, and they do Gregorian chants. Very interesting. So if you want to order a copy, contact Save, S-A-V-A-E dot org. And they're also on Facebook, and you can uh, reach them there. And they do live shows, and you can listen to them for free on YouTube. You can also get their CD on Amazon. And for our opening prayer, let's all bow our heads together and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we pray that for the lives of all Christians being persecuted worldwide, their freedom to worship and lives have been in great jeopardy, and some whose lives have been taken for disturbing evil reasons. We believe they have become martyrs, and now they pray for us. And we pray for all those suffering from any kind of violence or unsafety here at home and abroad, and we pray for those who are sick in mind and body and those who are lonely and uncomforted. We ask God and please to forgive us our sins. We pray for freedom for those who are suffering from domestic violence in their own homes or freedom from addiction of all kinds. And uh, please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect them and all your angels to watch over everyone. We send special prayers to go out to those who suffer in the world, including the animals who can't speak for themselves. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of the policymakers, that they have many decisions to make, and we're praying for all our countries and problems of suffering for all over the world. Thank you, God, for all the gifts you have given us, and thank you for helping us to keep going on. And we ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care, and everyone and their families are in our prayers. We wish also a blessed Memorial Day to all those who served and lost their lives in our wars, and we have great love and respect for those who are serving now and for their families. And we also let everybody know our beloved soldiers are always on our minds. And I ask my daddy to rest in peace, and thank you, Dad, for giving for our country. And we pray for everybody rest in peace and also the families left behind. And we do wish a blessed Memorial Day. And um, that's it. Everybody rest in peace. Amen. And I want to say that uh, that Memorial Day is Monday for the United States, and uh, we do keep everybody in mind, uh, uh, every generation in my family, and uh, until this day that we're talking right now, my family has served in every war and served their country, 
And we are a bunch of patriots. We all have different uh, political leanings, but, you know, we all believe in protecting our country. And um, we not, you know, people know that in the news uh, things happen and sometimes things go awry, but um, we know that there's always going to be war. I'm sorry. Uh, to have to to know that, but in the Bible it says there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. You know, we want to fa- faithfully be in them fighting and protecting our country. And uh, I'm just proud of these soldiers, and uh, I wish you peace. Anyway, so today, if you have a birthday, we want to wish you a very happy birthday, including my daughter, who just recently had a birthday. And my daughter is an amazing woman. She's... um works very hard. She has three children, and also uh, she has a, a grandchild, so I think from a great-grandmother, believe it or not. But anyway, uh, we just want to wish uh, her a blessed birthday, Ronnie, my daughter, and everybody else who's having a birthday or some kind of blessed event today or anniversary or anything else. And we wish you a very happy and prosperous year ahead. And if you want to add your special person to us every morning, uh, you just... Uh, Every Sunday morning, I will wish them a happy birthday, too. And uh, anyway, we're, we are those who are keeping up. We're all the way on First Timothy uh, chapter 6. And uh, when we first started this whole thing, uh, we first started this whole thing. I didn't know that we lasted this long, but we're just working our way uh, straight through the Bible. And we're just so, you know, happy about it. So every... Sunday I'm here. I'm tired, but I'm here. And uh, so I want to wish those who uh, who are tuning in, uh, I know it's difficult to try to check in the church and do your Bible thing, but just try to work it out with me. And I want to thank uh, my friends in chat that I do see you, and uh, God bless you, and I uh, wish you a blessed Memorial Day, too. And I know you're there, and uh, keep me in your prayers, folks. Anyway, uh, so this is First Timothy chapter six. You know I do the Schmoop thing, and these are Schmoop is a site www s h m o o p. They are uh, a group of Harvard students have decided that they would do a summary of the Bible. So they worked on it together, and they do a kind of a funny summary, but it at least tells us what's going on. And after that, we're going to read the, the the chapter out of the Bible. So this is First Timothy chapter six. The title is "We Shall Overcome, But Not Yet." And now, who hasn't Paul dished out any advice to yet? How about the slaves? If you're a slave, what would you do? Just regard your master as worthy of all honor, and God will be happy. If your master isn't Christian, just be one on your best behavior, so that you don't reflect poorly on the rest of the group. But if you and your master happen to be both Christian, don't think that means you can expect to be treated like a human being rather than a piece of property. Oops. In fact, it just means that you should slave away even because you're serving a fellow Christian. Um, Okay. If you disagree with this, then it means that you disagree with Jesus. You're also a big, arrogant, big and arrogant liar who just loves to argue about things. Take a note, abolitionist. I don't... I'm sorry, but I... uh, this is not me. This is them. <laughs> anyway, if you want to live a godly life, you be happy with what you have. And don't go chasing after money or fancy cars because bad things will follow. And keep focused on fighting the good fight for Jesus, and all will be well. Remember how he kept his faith and told Pilate what was what 
Well, that's how faithful Christians should be. If anyone is super wealthy right now, they should make an effort to keep their focus on God. They need to try to get a hold of the real riches, in other words, God. In closing, Paul tells Timothy to pass on all his good stuff and help lead people back to a straight and narrow path and away from the naysayers who don't have any clue to what they're talking about. Anyhow, Vern. So anyway, thanks for that. And uh, uh, really what this is saying to me is that uh, no matter what your status is, what your station is, you still have to be godly and honor God where you are. And so people back then, it was meant that you were a slave. So let's go on to read the Bible itself. So get your Bible out, and we're going to read First Timothy chapter 6. Okay, so for, towards masters and slaves, chapter 6. All who are under the yoke of slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God in our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers who are their masters must not be disrespectful to him because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who have taken the benefit are believers and beloved. Teacher and preach those principles towards false teachers. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the second words, the sound words, let me read it again. If anybody advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to the godliness. He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in the controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of the gain. That's the truth. Towards money and godliness. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and snare and and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And flee from these things, you, man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testifies a good confession before Pontius Pilate. But you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom to man has never seen or can see, to him to be honor and eternal domination. Amen. Those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all the things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in the good works, and to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what, what 
that which is life indeed. And then this part is towards one's front trust. O Timothy, guard what you have I have entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of which are falsely called knowledge, which have some, have some, professed, and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So he wrote that letter to Timothy, and that's the last one at First Timothy, and uh, next week we'll go on to Second Timothy. Let me read the notes down here. It says uh, 6, 1 through 2. The problems of the master-slave relationship are discussed. And the New Testament writers do not question the institution of slavery, but try to mitigate it through some improved attitudes for both masters and slaves. In the church, they meant on equal terms as members of the fellowship, though there may have been instances where slaves were elders, and thus in the church they were over their masters, whom they served all week. That's that's interesting. And then it says, uh, um, 6, 4 through 5, again, heretical teachers were excorated. Perhaps they charged fees or something else, which is and in six six. In contrast to the material gain of the heretics, the Christian finds his gain of a non-financial sort, godliness and contentment, or self-sufficiency, which results in the inner satisfaction of the situation that God has ordained for him, and then pierce themselves. Their love of money brought pains of conscience, disillusionment, and barrenness. And then on six twelve, it says, "Made a good confession." And it's about the confession of Christ as baptism. And then 615 is, this will be manifest in the proper time by the blessed and only sovereign. In other words, the return of Christ will occur if at the time ordered and appointed by God. That's it. So it's not going to happen before that. So everybody says it's coming right around the corner. It may or it may not, but we're supposed to get ready and put all our hope in God, not financial things, not money. And um, I pray and hope that everybody gets what they need and that, uh, you know, there's always problem of lack of money, but just place your hope on God and that's it. And, um, you know, I wanted to tell you something about this, uh, uh, a friend of mine who wrote a uh, author, Terry Johnson Weber, who wrote a book, uh, The Tug of War. She has a very interesting chapter in her book. Um, it's called Tug of War. Trusting God through the unexplained. I got my copy over at Amazon, but I have had her on my as my guest on my Friday night radio show, and um, she's a storyteller, and I, I love her very much. And I wanted to read you a very interesting uh, a thing uh, uh, today about her experience with the dream of Trinity. She was so young, you you wouldn't think that it was even a possible to uh, teach a young girl about the Trinity, but I want to tell you this dream of the Trinity in her book, Tug of War. And it says, dream of Trinity. Shortly after my baptism, the night perhaps, or as late as a week after my baptism, I had the following dream. Bear in mind, I had just turned five less than three weeks prior to this dream. Yet what you are about to read shows an awareness of a theological concept that even as an adult, I am not able to adequately describe. For some reason to a child of five, the Lord gave a brief, brief glimpse into his profound mystery. As the dream began, I was walking barefoot down the dirt road, the soft, fine dirt rising between my toes with each step. And there, walking beside me, holding my hand, was Jesus. He was kind and friendly, very joyful, smiling, laughing as we walked. We approached what looked like a circus to me because... The large tent we headed towards reminded me of the big top. 
Jesus opened the flap for me to enter, and all thoughts of being at a circus vanished. The interior was cool, lit by only by flames of candles. At the center of the room was a round stone pit in the dirt floor. Opposite from the pit was a large chair, similar to the red velvet dining room chairs my Grandma Johnson had. This one had two arms, and it was actually a large throne. Jesus cheerfully picked me up and placed me on the throne and set me onto an unseen someone's lap, saying, Father, here's Terry. You remember her. She was just baptized. Although I could not see Father, I knew he was there, and I was sitting in his lap. I felt completely surrounded by indescribable love. As I sat at Father's lap on the throne, Jesus decidedly turned his attention to the stone pit in front of us. He was thrilled to share something with me. He took me into his arms and sat me on the stone edge so I could look down into the pit as he swished the dirt. Amazingly, it was like cleaning dirt off a TV screen and biblical stories began to appear. With each story, Jesus told me about the characters I was watching, Adam and Eve, Moses, Noah, Daniel and the lion's den. On and on the stories came and I watched mesmerized. I have no idea how much time passed for time it seemed to stand still. When he indicated that our time at the pit was over, I was disappointed. I was hungry for more. But Jesus said, don't worry. He'll help you remember all these stories. He, this time Jesus didn't look at the throne where his father was sitting unseen. This time he was referring to he. Jesus looked at someone sitting far, far right beside me on the stone wall. And like father, I could not see him either. But he, I felt that the he was there. And according to Jesus, his job was to bring these stories back into my memory. Jesus took my hand to walk me back home. But before opening the flap and leaving the tent, a smile crossed his face with an impish gleam in his eye. He looked back and forth from father on the throne to him on the stone ledge. Should I? He laughed. Why not? He chuckled again. Terry, come on in here. I want to show you one, one more thing. To our left was the back wall or the right of father's throne. From another room, Jesus, was excited as a little kid in Christmas, opened the flap and took me into a back, large back room. Just inside the doorway was a large, imposing guard. He didn't look terribly friendly and was surprised, even shocked to see Jesus bring me into that room. Don't worry, it's okay, Jesus told him. And because Jesus was clearly the boss, whose orders he followed, the guard let me in, but I could see the reluctant look in his eye. I was quite intimidated by this frightful guard who was so tall, large, and who I discovered as I walked past, quickly past him had large wings folded at his back. He was an angel. His countenance blew away my concept of angels right out of the water. This was no smiling, protective, benevolent cherub. This was someone I would never willingly walk past for the Son of God holding my, but for the Son of God holding my hand. Jesus, laughing and loving, friendly Jesus, lifted me in his arms and took me toward a large gold wooden stand that held a huge book. The look on the angel's face showed pure alarm, and he stiffened as though readying himself for battle. Again, Jesus laughed him off and said, don't worry, it's okay, I just want to show her something. The book was open, and Jesus, giddy with excitement, turned it back a few pages. He looked back at the guard and ran his finger down the page until it rested on one line. What does it say, he asked me. I was amazed that I could see it was my name. At five, I couldn't read much, but I could recognize my own name. He went on to tell me that I was baptized with Daddy and Debbie and Jan, that our names had been written in that book. 
He turned it several pages to show me that my mom's name had been written in that book when she was a baby. Then he looked at the guard, the, the poor alarmed guard, who was clearly being brought into something unwillingly and unprepared. Oh, why not, exclaimed Jesus. Pages after my own name was written, he pointed to more names, laughing. The guard grinned at that point and just shook his head, and Jesus roared with a deep belly laugh. He looked lovingly at me and led me back to the front room of the tent, where I waved and told Father, See you later, as though I had actually seen him, and where he, the Spirit, joined, joined us on the walk back home. As Jesus dropped me off at home, he assured me that he would stay with me, and he would live inside of me and be with me always. And then Jesus blew me a kiss, and the dream ended. I can't tell that dream without attempting some sort of analysis and without pointing out that theological truths I now see, nor without wondering whose other names he showed me belonged to. My future sister, Lori, who had not been born yet. My sister, Debbie, who was eventually rebaptized as a Baptist. My future fiancé, Leonard, who would die before our wedding. My future husband. My future three sons and daughters-in-laws and grandchildren but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring your remembrance, all that I have said to you, John fourteen twenty six. And in the beginning of the word, the word was with God, and the, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son, so only from the Son of God, of the Father, and full of grace and truth, John 1, 1 through 14. I believe the Father that Jesus introduced me to was God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Jesus was the Word who became flesh, and the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. I believe that the second He that Jesus introduced me to was the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He even told me that He would help me remember all these Bible stories. When I was a young adult, I thought of how God, of how like God, that he would come to a five-year-old in a setting that the child understood, so that he came to me in a dream, a circus setting seemed appropriate. But there is no other circus imagery in that dream, no carnival rides, no cotton candy. It was almost chilling to realize the word that is translated in John 1, 14, as dwelt literally means tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. Jesus took me to a tent, not a circus. I wonder who the large angel that guarded what I believe was the book of life in, which my name and the names of all God's children are written. And I would love to know the names that Jesus showed me in the later part of the book. A theologian might be able to pick apart that dream, but I find it astonishing how God reveals himself to a little five-year-old girl. Baptism, she says, equals big tug. The devil might continue to tug and throw a lot of punches, but he can't, he can't out-tug my God. He can only torment or oppress, and he can't tug me out of God's hands. It says in Romans eight thirty-eight through 39 promises us, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, amen. I just wanted to read you that and how precious it was to that she shared that story with us and that um, profound, really, that we ever come to know the Trinity. I have had the blessings and the uh, the awesome um, uh, experience of 
God, also Jesus, and of the uh, Holy Spirit. And um, when I had a then, it's really hard to say this, but I had a a serious uh, in the eighties a serious ego deflation at depth is the only thing I could call it. I then instantly was saved by the Holy Spirit, and I felt the haps the rapture of the Holy Spirit. So uh, those that pretend, you know, to uh, have the Holy Spirit, uh, I don't know what to say to you, and um, just don't um, don't lie. You know, I think if you have the Holy Spirit, for me, I wasn't able to even move from my knees. I was just on my knees in a rapture, and um, I get quite offended when people uh, joke around with this Holy Spirit. And that uh, anyway, so um, we only have like a minute left, and uh, let's say the Serenity Prayer as our closing prayer, and as we all keep everybody in mind, and uh, thank everybody that tunes in, and my special friend. Uh, in chat, thank you so much for being there and keeping me company this wonderful morning. And then, in closing, let's do the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Just come back next week and we'll do another chapter. We're going to do uh, Second Timothy, first chapter. In closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms so that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. You are never alone. Just remember that God loves you, and may your best dreams come true and true love live in your heart. I wish everybody a wonderful Memorial Day. Rest in peace, all those who have passed, and God bless everybody. Amen.